Welcome back to the Spirits Guy Podcast. I am Rich, your guide through the intoxicating spirits world. And here we are, episode 35. It's it's hard to believe. Uh, it's been a, a fun, wild ride. Thank you guys, as always, for indulging me on this journey and being such a big, big part of it. You know, I remember kind of the the evolution of this and, and sitting down to record and Man, it was it was snowing out when I was recording those first couple episodes. I could, you know, I could hear the wind howling outside the the windows of the studio. It was freezing cold. And then we hit springtime, and then we hit the one of the hottest summers I remember. And now it's it's getting cool again. The the leaves are turning yellow and you know, we're getting into fall. We've we've been through some seasons already on this podcast and speaking of season, we just got through Bourbon Heritage Month. It was a great time. We talked about a lot of bourbon. We drank a lot of bourbon. Uh, but by the end of it, <laughs> I was getting a little bourboned out. So I needed a little seasonal change. I took some time off from social media. Uh, I took a little time off from recording to kind of assess where I want to go in the next season and, and how I want this podcast to evolve and I went and did a little apple picking, uh, literally and metaphorically. Uh, and that's how we end up with today's episode. I'm talking about apple brandy. It's the fall. It's New England. And what is more fall in New England? Uh, apples. You know, it's, well, that and pumpkin spice coffee. <laughs> but uh, I decided to go with apple brandy instead of pumpkin spice and pumpkin beers and, and all the, the pumpkin stuff. Uh, yeah, I've pulled together some great apple brandies, some Calvados from France, and then, you know, great stuff from St. George and Hodling and Laird's just, I love apple brandies one, because they provide just sort of an alternative flavor, um, while sort of providing the same drinking experience that bourbons can provide. And if you've never tried them, they're definitely worth trying. These are a great lineup, most of which are available every day, all day at Wachusett Wine and Spirits, where I work. Uh, but they also provide great cocktail alternatives. You know, because they drink like a whiskey, you can use these in Old Fashions and Manhattans and Boulevardiers. And I say this over and over throughout the body of the podcast. Um, don't sleep on on this type of drinking experience and it is the oldest and original spirit that we distilled here in america so while you know we love our bourbon and it is by law a unique american spirit the oldest american spirit is actually apple brandy made by lairds um so yeah hopefully you guys enjoy this episode uh it gets a little goofy at the end uh i think i probably double sipped a few things along the way, um, but fun nonetheless. Uh, and this is probably going to be the last sort of full length episode that I record for, you know, a few weeks. There's some stuff that I recorded during sort of Bourbon Heritage Month uh, that's kind of in the can waiting to get released. Uh, I talk about it in the episode. I have an interview coming up with Jeff Duckhorn from Redwood Empire. So I'll be releasing that here. But I want to take a few weeks off, one, because October is just going to be a crazy month and I wouldn't be able to deliver, uh, to, to focus and deliver, you know, really good content. And I, I do want to kind of tweak it and take some time and catch my breath uh, and come back strong 
better than ever with you know great podcast content for you guys. So there will be some stuff sprinkled in throughout the month. TNT Thursday night tastings will not change. I'll still be doing those every week, getting you ready for the weekend. Um, and then hopefully by November, I, I have a, a little better sense of, of format and feel and where I want to go with this going forward. That being said, you guys know the drill. If you hear, you like what you hear, uh, you enjoy it, go to the podcast page, click the follow button, give it a five-star rating, share it out on your social media. This is how we get more attention paid to it. We grow it. We have a little bit more fun. Grow the family. Uh, follow on Facebook and Instagram. I know it took a few days off, but I'll start getting stuff posted back up there. You know, things that not only I'm drinking, but music that I'm listening to, books that I'm reading, uh, anything of that nature. You can also message me through both of those platforms. You can leave comments and reviews about the podcast on both of those platforms. And for anything else, again, samples that you know, you're know you curious as to my opinion of, and I mentioned it in the podcast, I've gotten so many great samples from you guys in the last month um, that I just have so much that I'm looking forward to digging into. So thank you guys very, very much. I do appreciate the samples when you give them to me, and I do my best to get them all sort of reviewed here on the podcast. I'm looking forward to digging into a whole bunch of great ones that you guys have dropped off. Uh, if there's anything that I've tried here, especially things that I tried in this episode, um, if you're over 21, you live close enough, I will do everything I can in my power to pour off samples and get them to you. And for anything else, you know, when I come back, I'm still looking for a permanent co-host. So if you want to come here, hang out, geek out about movies, music, TV, whatever you pick the topic, I'll supply the spirits. Uh, you can email me at thespiritguide89 at gmail.com. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed making it for you. And uh, yeah, cheers. All right. So here we are. And wow, I feel like I've been waiting to do this episode for six months uh, since I started to accumulate these bottles, but the timing just wasn't right. And now, you know, we've come out of Bourbon Heritage Month. We did 30 days of bourbon. We talked about nothing but bourbon. And I was bound and determined that on this episode, I was not going to be talking about bourbon at all. I'm done. I'm taking a break from bourbon uh, between drinking it for 30 days straight and the hysteria and the goofiness already starting. Uh, I just need a, a quick, quick little reprieve from the bourbon world. And, you know, we're in October, which is it's hard to believe where has this year gone, but we are right in the middle of apple picking season. And so today I am talking about apple brandy. Uh, you know, the oldest distillery, the first sort of DSP uh, in America was an apple brandy. It's a Laird's. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but this is a very, very European thing as well. And I am starting out by drinking some Calvados. Now, Calvados is it's an AOC 
in France. It's actually Normandy. So it's a it's kind of like cognac in France. You can only make cognac in cognac France. You can only make Armagnac in the Armagnac regions of France. And you can only make Calvados in the Normandy region of France. It is a brandy that is made from apples. And in Calvados, uh, you can actually use a little bit of pear as well. But basically, you can use sweet apples, bittersweet apples, bitter apples, or bitter sharp apples. And much like a lot of the other spirits we try, you know, when we drink bourbon, bourbon has to start out as beer. When we drink cognac, it has to start out as wine. And when we're drinking Calvados, it's actually starting out as a cider. So you have to make the cider. You take your apple juice, pitch some yeast in there. The yeast eats the sugars. It turns to alcohol. And then you distill that. Now, when they first started making Calvados in the Calvados region, they would drink it unaged. A lot of it was clear, much like whiskey in this country was. But over time, that has evolved to requiring a minimum of two years of aging to be called Calvados. Calvados, by the way, uh, becomes an official recognized AOC 1942. So relatively speaking, is you know even though they've been you know historical records go back to like the early 1500s for apple brandy production uh we don't actually get an official classification of calvados until 1942 all right so the calvados that i am drinking is from christian druin uh one of the older more highly esteemed and recognizable uh calvados houses and uh, this is Lay Calvados by Christian Druin. So they're actually using a little bit of pear in this as well. And what I like about these is, I mean, they're really approachable. You know, when you're you're drinking brandy, cognac, you don't always sort of get that base flavor. With Calvados and apple brandy, you definitely get an apple flavor profile it's a little bit more accessible for people to drink and if you're wondering like hey what do you do with it well you drink it straight like i'm about to uh you can make cocktails with it you can make riffs on you know an old fashioned you can do like an apple old fashioned use some cherry bitters uh instead of angostura heck even angostura bitters will kind of give it a little bit of a, a cider kind of spice to it as well so you can make, you know, you can substitute any sort of whiskey cocktails. When we get into like Laird's Applejack, you know, for all you you consumers out there who like your Jack Apple or your Crown Royal Apple or your Jim Beam Apple, which are whiskeys that have sort of fake apple flavoring added to them, maybe switch it over. You can get Laird's Applejack or, you know, one of the other ones we're going to talk about a little bit later, Copper and King's Apple Brandy, uh, for pretty much the same price. But they're actually made from apples. So the apple flavor is real, but they drink like an actual whiskey or a, I kind of hate the term brown spirit, but any sort of aged spirit. So, yeah, there's a lot you can do with this. You know, mix it with cider especially as it gets cooler out. Hey, maybe Halloween night when there's some trick-or-treaters going around and you want to keep yourself warm, 
But, you know, do a little something special for the parents. Fill up a little crock pot with some apple cider. Throw some Calvados or some apple brandy in there. A couple of cinnamon sticks. And you've got a nice sort of warmed up, kind of mulled, boozy uh, cocktail. I like Calvados. I mean, I love apple brandy. Obviously, that's what we're talking about it. But Calvados presents a very sort of light, elegant style to me. Uh, very fruit forward and yet incredibly kind of uncomplicated, just simple it is what it is in this. I mean, I mean, I'm just smelling it. It just smells like, you know, it, it smells like the inside of an apple orchard or like when an apple smells like after you take that first bite out of it. All right, I'm going in. Hmm. Mm -hmm. man it's soft it's light hints of pear big apple notes Uh, just absolutely delicious you know if you're thinking if you're like me and you've kind (laughs) of let covid get the best of you and you've gone off your diet in the last couple years and now all of a sudden you like dessert again This is something that, while not being sweet, provides a great fruit flavor sipping experience that you could have after any dinner. These are great. You know, if you're cooking pork in the crock pot, you throw a a shot or two of Calvados or apple brandy in there. It's going to elevate the flavor of your pork. There's a lot of stuff you can do with it. Man, this is just, uh, it's elegant. It's stylish. It's like 42 bucks in the shelf, so it's affordable. The packaging is very kind of regal looking. It looks like it's old school French. This is just absolutely, it's beautiful. And I love the fact that, you know, at least with this one and some of the other ones we're going to taste, usually clocking in at like, you know, 80 proof, 40% alcohol. So again, a little bit lower proof, but you can drink more of it. You know, you know, we're in Halloween month, so we're going to be hanging out watching scary movies. I like to have a couple of drinks while I'm watching my movies. So a couple of drinks at 80 proof. Um, you can still not get too goofy. But again, you know, you're drinking booze, too. It's got a nice sort of balance that way. So, yeah, here we are. I'm sipping on Calvados, which, man, what an elegant way to, to start uh, anything, really first drink of the day here's what's been going on in the spirits world in the last week a lot of really really cool stuff that man this segment may take a little bit longer than in past weeks just because of some of the cool stuff that's come out uh new releases pf ferrand announcing a new rum for anybody unfamiliar pf ferrand is also the people who own plantation rum they are doing a new rum they call cane rock So it's a spiced rum from Jamaica that is made at the Long Pond and Claridon distilleries. These are historic, historic Jamaican distilleries uh, flavored coconut, vanilla, ginger. And then here's the kicker. (laughs) This, you know, it's it's the same people who do plantations, the same people who do Pia Ferrand, which are the same people that made the Renegade Barrel, which might be my favorite spirit I've tasted this year. They're doing a spiced rum 
in a PX Sherry barrel finish. <laughs> I mean, everything about that sounds amazing. Uh, I can't wait for that. So, uh, Cane Rock is the name of the rum. I'll be keeping an eye out for you guys. If you guys are out there and you see it anywhere retail before I do, please, please let me know. I need to try this immediately. Coconut, vanilla, ginger with a PX sherry barrel finish. Whew. I, that is just, it sounds like heaven to me. Uh, on a positive, this is really, really cool. Um, there's a distillery in Chicago called Northside. And they have put out what they're calling a Braille bourbon. The whole label is done in Braille. Uh, it's 108 proof single barrel. It's going for 65 bucks a bottle. And usually I rip against distillery only releases. But for this one, I get it. And it's it's amazing that it has taken this long for somebody to do it. But congrats, Northside Distilling in Ohio for Braille bourbon, the whole label in Braille. Obviously, all the proceeds are going to uh, sort of deaf charities. Um, not not deaf, my God, blind. <laughs> oh, wow. Get your get your things right here. Um, yeah, they're going to, to research for people uh, who obviously have issues with their sight. Um, yeah, deaf people can still read. <laughs> Wow. This is what happens when you wait this late in the day to have your first drink. You just start saying stupid stuff. <sighs> Two sips down. I might have to refill this glass. Uh, I found this one interesting. There's a distillery called Casey, Casey Jones Distillery, and they have just kind of done a big investment at their distillery where they have put in a square pot still. I saw a picture of it. On a, on a website from a, an email I get. It looks interesting. It looks completely different. And man, I've got to ask, I have an interview coming up with, I don't know why I didn't even lead with this, but I am getting to interview Jeff Duckhorn, the master distiller from Redwood Empire. Uh, probably within a couple days of when this podcast gets released. And uh, I'm going to ask him about that because Jeff is a great guy and super geeky and loves all those weird details. I want to ask him what a square pot still would do to be different from a traditional sort of pot belly round uh, still. It's a 200 gallon still, uh, but I, I am definitely, definitely curious. Uh, this little tidbit of info and shit that is going too far. Topo Chico, which is sort of the partnership between Coca-Cola and Molson Coors. You know, they do their hard seltzers, their RTDs. They're coming out with a spirit-based hard Topo Chico. So they'll be vodka-based, tequila-based, whatever. Uh, and at the same time, truly, the hard seltzer brand is coming out with a vodka spirit-based RTD as well. I don't know. I guess they figure if High Noon is doing it in the higher end market, I don't I don't get the need for it. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's a bad business decision, especially for Truly, which is, you know, at least in the Northeast, is probably the number one selling, you know, hard seltzer in the Northeast. It's number two or number three nationwide. Why would you create a vodka-based spirit that is only going to draw away 
from your hard seltzer. And for a consumer, quite honestly, how many of us really know the difference in taste when we're buying in bulk? We really don't. But I can tell you that the cost of an eight-pack of Truly Vodka Soda is going to be the same exact price as a 12-pack of Truly Hard Seltzer. And side-by-side, side, ice cold, after a couple, I promise you there aren't going to be many of you that will be able to tell the difference, but your wallet will be. And again, to kind of reiterate the point, who is paying for the research and development of these products? We all are. Um, they're not taking the money out of their pocket and investing their own money. They're raising the price of truly hard seltzer and then using those extra profits to fund the research and development on everything else. And they're sticking it to us. Now, here's a story that I read. You know, I get emails all the time and people, you know, how do you, how do you learn all this stuff? You, you sign up for these emails. Whenever you go to like a website and it says sign up for our newsletter, sign up for them. You get all kinds of cool stuff. And, you know, when I first really got into bourbon a couple of years back, I started following a guy named Steve Akeley. Uh, very, very cool guy. He's now got a whole podcast network called the ABV Network. Uh, I get emails from, you know, his sort of network of, of people. Every week I get one called Bourbon Zeppelin. I get one called ABV Bourbon Notes. There's all kinds of great personalities associated with him. Wes Harden, uh, Stephanie McNew, uh, you know, they're tied into the Neely family and just all kinds of stuff. Really, really cool stuff. And one of the things that they do is they do these virtual dusty tastings. And they were doing a tasting of a Michter's Gold Decanter from 1980 you know and they they find these bottles somehow from years ago and you know that managed to have survived and uh, you know i'd pay top dollar for a wild turkey from 1980 as opposed to paying top dollar for a you know george t stag from a year ago like or two years ago because it wasn't one a year ago <sighs> mm. Nah. fresh pears and honey crisp apples. This stuff is so, so good. So I'm reading the story, and the story kind of goes like this. In 1980, when bourbon was down, you know, everybody was putting out these decanters as a way to stimulate bourbon sales. And Mictus was no different. They came up with this gold decanter. So they made five... Uh, 2,000 bottles. I want to make sure I get this right. 2,000 bottles of a gold decanter filled with Michter's bourbon. This is back when it was still being made in Pennsylvania. It was coated in 23 karat gold. They were selling it for $500 a bottle, which I think comparatively is about $1,200 a bottle in today's sort of economy as we scale up. Now, here's the thing. They decided they were only going to sell them in a very short window. It's brilliant marketing. It got people to kind of go in and buy them. And they decided that between June 19th and June 22nd of 1980, they were going to sell these bottles. Three days. That was it. You had three days to get your hands on this bottle. And to prove that what you bought was going to be exclusive, they agreed to destroy the remaining bottles, whatever was not sold. 
This is fat. Can you fucking imagine if Buffalo Trace said, uh, we're going to release 2,000 bottles of double eagle, eagle rare, uh, and you've got one day to come in and buy them, and whatever we have left over that doesn't get bought in that day, we're going to smash. People would lose their fucking mind. You'd have people in line with their wife, two spaces behind them, with their cousin, two spaces behind them, and everybody they could round up to be rustling up homeless guys to stand in line and buy all these bottles. It's just amazing that somebody even tried this concept at one point. And again, you're talking 23 karat gold decanter. They only made 2000. So did they sell them all? No, they sold 893 in three days. I forget what it netted them for profit, but it was enough to put some money back in, you know, kind of the bank account, get some cash flow going. And then on June 23rd, the day after the sale end, they literally had a party outside the distillery, get all the employees together, and they smashed the remaining, what is that, 1,107 decanters, smashed them on the ground for the press to see that they were destroyed. So when you talk about paying First of all, how amazing is that, that they actually went through and destroyed those bottles and didn't have the foresight to kind of save a few for, you know, whatever the market would be in years. They literally destroyed them. Now, when we're talking about, you know, buying a bottle of, uh, you know, Sazerac 18 from two years ago, buying, you know, two-year-old George T. Stagg, uh, you know, paying top dollar for birthday bourbon that was put out two years ago. It hasn't survived anything. I, I don't, I'll save it for the, for the next piece of info, but 893 bottles out of the 2000 that were made, you know, were purchased. The other ones were absolutely destroyed. So when you talk about paying top dollar for an old secondary bottle, this is where you should be putting your money. If you got one of those 893 bottles available, that's the one that you should be ponying up five grand, seven grand, 10 grand for. That's the shit right there that is worth investing in secondary market. First of all, it was made in limited quantities. Second of all, it was made 40 years ago. Third of all, they literally destroyed the rest of them. So if there's anything left of those bottles unopened today, they had to survive some shit. Not just be released in limited quantities two years ago and be, you know, overinflated in value within a year. Because I guarantee you that 10 years ago, if you could have found one of those 893 bottles, you probably still could have bought it for 200 bucks. Absolutely insane. So. Talk about like collector's market and old bottles. That's the kind of stuff to me that is absolutely worth it. Um, yeah, it just sort of, you know, and again, the mictors of that time really has nothing to do with the mictors of this time. Um, but still, what a fascinating, fascinating story. And then sort of the first piece of info or the last piece of info I have here before I'm going to take a, a quick break. Uh, one of the emails I get, and I forget which one it is. I just signed up for a bunch of new sort of newsletters this week. But there is something out there called the Bourbon Brown Book. What is this, you say? 
Sounds interesting. I like bourbon. I like reading. I'll be honest. I'm probably going to order a copy of this book if I can get it because I'm curious as to what it says. But here's what it is. It is a book that fully researches secondary market whiskey. It's basically like a pricing guide to tell you what you should be paying if you buy a 2015 bottle of, you know, Pappy 12, what you should be. The whole concept just shows me that this has gone too far. It, it is, it's crossed a threshold where people are writing books telling you what you should pay as if somehow in your brain that should justify you paying $3,000 fucking dollars for a bottle of George T. Stagg. There is nothing that should justify that price point for a bottle that's you know two years old, three years old. Nobody should be paying tens of thousands of dollars for you know Boss Hog number three. It's just... It's whiskey in a great bottle, and I'm sure like the whiskey is great, but you know, sadly enough, the people who are paying that kind of money, they're not even buying it to drink it. Um, they're just buying it to find the next guy who's going to pay a few dollars more to keep inflating the value of this stuff, and it just sort of drives everything way out of whack. And really, at the heart of it. You know, why does whiskey get made? We've talked about this over and over again. It's a good way to kind of utilize an overabundance of crops. It becomes a good sort of currency to trade at the general store 100 years ago. But really, it should be made to be consumed. And I've said this before, my issue with, you know, flippers and collectors and hoarders is there are people that I feel bad for because they legitimately, you know, were drinking Weller 10 years ago. They were drinking some of these great whiskeys 10 years ago. They no longer have access to good stuff because somebody somewhere has written a book that says, this is what this is worth. You know, the liquid in the bottle costs the same, you know, a, a, a Pappy 23 and a, a Weller Special Antique at their base model cost exactly the same to make. Now, granted, one accumulates more cost by being taxed from sitting in a warehouse for a lot longer, but they start out as the same recipe. Maybe one goes to a different barrel, one goes to a different part of the rickhouse, whatever. But at the root of it, the, the wheat that goes into Pappy is the same wheat that goes into Weller. You know, it it doesn't cost any more. So, I mean, you should be paying whatever you're comfortable paying. But really, the fact that there's a book out there to say like, hey, this is what you should expect to pay if you find it. It really, like the secondary market has become its own business. And it just kind of shows me that things have gone way, way, way too far, you know, to the point where like it becomes a commodity and not something that I find or you find or any one of my other friends, you know, friends of the store, friends of the podcast, friends of mine who have nothing to do with either. You know, we're always kind of looking for that special bottle that we find 
we like, and I want to go share with somebody else. And I talk to, you know, my customers at the store all the time because I do feel bad because every, for every customer who's got a, you know, a son or a daughter who's getting married in a few months and they would like a bottle of, you know, old rip, just base old rip, you know, to open up at, you know, their kid's wedding, you know, or their dad died and they want a bottle to kind of sit with their brothers and, you know, reminisce and, and, you know, share memories of good time spent with their dad or their mom, you know, or, you know, bereavements, weddings, uh, graduations, whatever. They want these special bottles because they want to open them and drink them and help them to enhance moments and memories. Every collector, flipper, and hoarder takes one more bottle out of circulation for the people who want to appreciate and enjoy this stuff for what it should be, which is something to be shared and enjoyed and drank with friends and good people. Um, and the fact that there is a book out there, which really is only going to drive the price up because, hey, the book was published a year ago, and it says that that George T. Stagg from 2010 was worth 3500 then. It's got to be worth 3700 now. It just it keeps driving the price up. It keeps creating a commodity, uh, and it keeps just taking it further and further away from, you know, good, honest, hardworking people who just want to share something good with people that they care about. And it's become something that's more about elitism and, and trading and swapping and status. Uh, I, I, I don't like it. And I think it's dangerous for the future of the bourbon world. And why do I think it's dangerous? Because I watched this happen with wine 10 years ago and now 10 years later, nobody cares about collecting wine. They barely even care about drinking it. Um, and that is a sad, sad thing. All right. I'm going to take a really quick break because I still got a whole list of whiskeys that I want to talk about that are coming out or that were announced for release this week. So uh, let me grab another bottle and I'll be right back. All right, so this is going to sound a little different. Uh, full disclosure, I recorded this whole segment, and some of you have been here in the studio with me, and you know what it looks like, and you know my my laptop sits off to my right, and I start recording, you know, just work the microphone, and every now and then I'll kind of glance over and do a time check, and I basically recorded this whole segment, and then looked over to my right and realized for whatever reason, there's a technical difficulty with my recording system and nothing recorded. So good news for me, I get to drink again. <laughs> uh, bad news for you, I may sound a little goofy. And while in my brain, I'm going to sound repetitive. Um, I know it's it's not because you're hearing it for the first time and I'm hearing it in my brain for the second time. All right, so we're back here. We're talking about apple picking season, or at least apple brandy. It's fall in New England. What is more fall in New England than apples? Uh, I have moved on. You know, we started in Europe, in France, with Calvados, which was a spirit that was being made five uh, back in the 1500s, so like 700 years ago. And now we're we're talking about... 
Well, we're talking about American uh, apple brandy, and we're talking about Laird's American apple brandy. And this is the oldest, the first distillery active in America, the longest-running, continuously family-owned distillery. Uh, there is historical record of George Washington actually requisitioning the recipe for Laird's apple brandy. That gives you a true sense of history. So when we talk about bourbon being America's spirit because it was made that in 1964, we're talking the 1700s, before bourbon as we know it was even being made, probably before even rye whiskeys were being made, apple brandy was being made by Laird's in New Jersey. Now, a lot of you guys will probably know Laird's as the people behind Apple Jack. Um, and I'm not going to go too deep into the history and all the stuff with Laird's. You can go back on the podcast page, find my conversation with Jessica Knight from Laird's, where you know she gave us a great history of the distillery, and we tasted through a bunch of their great, great products. But just as kind of a reminder, that Apple Jack is not 100% apple brandy. It's got grain neutral spirits added to it, whereas apple brandy is just straight apple brandy. Um, the term apple jack comes from a process that was known at one time as jacking, where you would make the apple brandy, let it freeze, scrape the ice off, because alcohol won't freeze, but the parts of the liquid that aren't alcohol will freeze. You take the ice out, and that concentrates the alcohol more, and it was a way to raise the alcohol content. So that's Apple Jack. We're not drinking Apple Jack. We're going straight into the Apple Brandy. Now, if you're curious as to what all this stuff is about and what it might taste like, Apple Jack is a great sort of intro into the flavor profiles of this at a really, really, I want to say right around 20 bucks or something to get a bottle of Applejack, which really drinks like apple whiskey. And again, if you're drinking Jack Apple or Crown Apple or Jim Beam Apple, which are whiskeys that are flavored with some sort of apple flavoring, and I promise you there's hardly any apples harmed in the making of that product, why not just buy something that drinks like a whiskey, but is actually made from apples and has a real apple flavor? What do we do with it? Uh, what do you do with your crown apple, your jack apple, or your gym apple? Do you mix it in Coke? Do you mix it in ginger ale? Do you mix it with Sprite? Do you do shots of it? Maybe. You can do all those things with Laird's. But Laird's or any of the other apple brandies that we're going to talk about are even better than that because you can use these for Old Fashions, Manhattans, Paper Plains, Boulevardiers. I mean, obviously you might have to adjust what type of vermouth you're using or what type of bitter you're using or what type of bitters you're using. But these brandies drink like whiskey. They just have an apple flavor to them. Um, yeah. All right, so the Laird's that I am drinking is the Laird's Straight Apple Brandy Bottled in Bond. Boom, there it is, Bottled in Bond. We love our Bottled in Bond whiskey. Uh, bottled in Bond, again, 
Here's the cliff notes. Aged four years, distilled by one distiller in one distilling season, aged in a government-supervised warehouse, bottled at exactly 100 proof. So for all you proof chasers out there who are like, well, the last apple brandy was only 80 proof. I can't get drunk on that. Well, here's 100 proof apple brandy. And you know what? These are great for just, you know, sometimes I like to sit on the porch, especially this time of year when it gets a little bit cooler, have a cigar. These are perfect for sipping. These are perfect for sipping by by a fire pit. If you're, you know, figured out a way to put a TV outside and kind of watch the game out in your yard like you're at the game, but, you know, with less lines for the bathroom, these are perfect for sipping there. Um, yeah, these are just great. Uh, affordable, I think this bottled and bond is probably right around 30 bucks on the shelf. I do carry it at the store. I love the label. It looks like it hasn't been updated since the 1970s, which it probably hasn't, but it gives it a very classic, stylish look. All right, let's go in. Mm. Nice, big, oaky, just like just like a whiskey would be, uh, but with great kind of red apple notes, kind of caramel, like, reminds me of like Halloween night, cool caramel apple on a stick. But really, really boozy. Man, this is... It's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And, uh, so, so much going on this week in the whiskey world. Uh, first off, Jeff Duckhorn. I touched upon it in the last segment. I got a call the other day from Jeff Duckhorn, who's out in California... And humbling to me, just amazing that, you know, the phone rings and somebody at work comes up and goes, it's this guy, Jeff Duck something. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, give me that phone. And, you know, he's like, hey, it's Jeff Duckhorn. I was like, hey, Jeff, you know, we met probably six months ago. Um, and so, <laughs> I mean, what do you say? Like, hey, how's it, how's it hanging? Uh, you know. So he says, hey, I heard you do this podcast thing. I would love to be involved and do the podcast with you. Uh, can we make that happen? I was like, hell yeah. Um, I love Jack Jeff. I got to meet him, like I said, probably six months ago uh, at a tasting. He came to the Massachusetts market. Uh, they, you know, I was invited to this tasting because I sell more Redwood Empire than any other store in the state. Why? Because friends of the podcast, friends of Wachusett Wine and Spirits, friends of that podcast, you guys all got behind this brand that I fell in love with instantly, and you guys are the ones buying it, and that makes my store look great. And and so, you know, it's just it's a great brand. It's an kind of an underdog brand. Uh, I like the fact that people who are in the know enjoy it and like it, and the status seekers. Still haven't, you know, kind of gone after it to put it up on their Instagram all the time. But I feel like uh, some of my favorite bands are like bands like the Afghan Wigs or the Hold Steady. And if you're out there and you don't know who they are, that's fine. Uh, but if you are out there and you know who those bands are, you know. you It's like a secret handshake. It's like uh, when you order Frenette at the bar. Like, you know, like, 
all right, this person is uh, kind of cool. So when I talk to anybody who's like, oh, that Redwood Empire stuff is good, I know you're actually kind of a cool whiskey drinker who is into something that is good, different, and remains affordable on an everyday basis. Now, my timing for doing the podcast with Jeff this week coming up, you know, it'll be, I think I'll be recording it probably a couple days after this episode gets released. Um, But the timing is perfect because I'm going to get to ask him about the new release of the Bottled in Bond, which, man, I get to taste... I get to taste with Corey. He had no idea they were even into the store. And I brought him in to do the Wachusett Wine and Spirits podcast. And, you know, I get to surprise him with it, which, again, is the joy of all of this, is that you find something, you find that it's amazing. And the first thing you want to do is share it with the people you enjoy sharing these things with and people you care about. Uh, So, you know, I'm going to get to ask him about the Bottled and Bond stuff and how that comes to be, and how he gets to do the blending, and all that, Uh, and then the following release from Redwood is going to be cask strength versions of the bourbon, the rye, and the lost monarch, which when I get to meet him six months ago, he had told me, hey, we're doing a cask strength release in the fall, and I said, oh, that's really cool, he said, do you want to taste them, and I went, "Uh, yeah, absolutely, and they were amazing, and when I met with the his representation here in Mass, they were kind enough to give me a couple samples of the cask strength stuff. The cask strength Lost Monarch is unbelievable, but the cask strength bourbon, the cask strength rye, all amazing. I don't know what they're going to cost, but those should be coming out next month or so. Uh, so something else great to look forward to from Redwood Empire, but... I'm going to have lots of questions for him. I want to dig a little deep, get really geeky, really nerdy, and look out for that podcast because that'll drop uh, maybe next week or the week after here, Uh, and I'll probably do a dual release. So it will go out on the Wachusett Wine and Spirits page uh, on that podcast as well as this because Jeff is just that cool. And if I can capture the, the video of that, I will put that out on all social media platforms as well. uh, So you guys can get sort of a sense of who this crazy genius is behind these amazing whiskeys. And speaking of whiskeys, you know, the show wouldn't be complete without this segment of five whiskeys you'll probably never see or couldn't afford if you did find them anyways. Uh, Some of these will be uh, available, uh, but some of them probably will not. Uh, Beam Suntory announcing that Balmore Arc 52 is getting released. It is a 52-year single malt scotch, 50% of which was aged in American oak, 50% of it was aged in European oak. It will be released in New York City and L.A. only. So if you're in NYC or L.A. and you have an extra... $75,000 in your pocket, you can buy one of those bottles. Balmore Arc 52. $75,000. There better be a fucking genie in the bottom of that bottle. And what's sad is whoever is going to buy that is probably not going to open it. They're not going to drink it. And quite honestly, 
It could be 750 milliliters of cat piss sealed with a cork, and you would never know. Uh, yeah, $75,000. For most of us, that's a fucking house payment. Uh, Blackened. They announced a new collaboration with Wes Henderson, who is the guy behind Angel's Envy, uh, to be finished in white port barrels. So Blackened finished in white port barrels. Interesting. I don't know how much flavor or what kind of flavors white port will impart. Uh, I don't know how many people in America even know that white port is a thing that exists. Uh, but it does. It's delicious. Just not a lot of people out there who know that it's even a thing. Clonic uh, Kilty announcing they're releasing a single malt coming up in the next couple months. Hirsch. Oh, boy. This one is a... Uh... Released a new bourbon. So we know Hirsch, the Horizon, is a blend of a couple bourbons, and they're all distilled in Tennessee. Hirsch is one of the most historic names in bourbon history, uh, and is associated with, with what is greatly recognized as the greatest bottle of bourbon ever made. And they just kind of keep capitalizing on the name. They put out great quality products, and what's funny is... This week, uh, which would be last week by the time this gets released, uh, I got to meet with my good friend Paulo, who works for Hodling, uh, which is who sells Old Potrero, Juniper Gin, Hein Cognac. They sell the Hirsch products. And my first, <laughs> he came in and said, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. And I said, what the fuck? Why would you name a bourbon something that people can't pronounce? Their new bourbon is called Hirsch. Bivouac, Bivouac. Uh, it's print. It's spelled B-I-V-O-U-A-C. It kind of looks like bivalve. I, I I don't know if it's named after clams or what it is. Uh, it is a blend of eight-year and three-year Kentucky bourbon. So, name aside, I get to taste the whiskey uh, again with my friend Paulo from Hodling. The bourbon is fantastic. The name is stupid. Uh, Bivouac, by the way, means temporary camp uh, for people who are on a journey and then just sort of immerse themselves in the place that they are in. Um, there's a, a, a distillery called New Liberty who has put out a Bloody Butcher's Sour Mash, which sounds very Halloweenish, but Bloody Butcher is, I believe, a, a type of wheat. And it is a three-year, $25, 200-milliliter bottle available in Pennsylvania only. And there are only 350 <laughs> bottles. I don't know why you make the effort to announce a release like that. I, I, don't, I don't know. Bless them. A 200-milliliter Um just to kind of give you a frame of reference, you can buy Fireball in a 200 milliliter. It's pretty much four nips. Uh, bless them. Uh, I'm sure they'll sell out in a day. Um, there's a company called The Last Drop. They're doing a Drew Mayville bottling, who is a, a master blender for Sazerac. There's a blend of vintage bourbon and rye. What I like about this release 
is it actually comes packaged with a 50 ml of the whiskey. So it's good and bad, but what it allows you to do is it allows you to have a chance to try it before you actually open the whole 750 milliliter bottle. But for any of you out there who are going to spend four grand for this bottle and your intention is to flip it, don't bother drinking the 50 ml. The value is going to be in having the complete thing with the 50 ml. So you're going to spend four grand. You're not going to get to taste it. And then you're going to hope you find a sucker bigger than you who's going to pay five grand for it. By the way, there's only four, 1,458 bottles in existence. Um, Uncle Nearest, uncut, unfiltered rye. This one, I don't know if I fully get either. It's an uncut, unfiltered rye. It's bottled at 52.9% ABV. It was made in Canada. It was aged in New York and is available at the distillery only, which is in Tennessee. I, I don't know how to draw a line between all of that stuff. Uh, few, which is they're in Illinois, I do believe. Uh, cool bottles. I want to like them more than I do. I just don't think that their stuff is that great. Uh, they're releasing a bottled and bond rye. Bottled and Bond seems to be a really, really trendy thing more and more so lately. Uh, speaking of Bottled and Bond, Chattanooga, which is a distillery I love a lot. I wish was available up here in Massachusetts. I've tasted probably five or six different bottlings from them. Every one of them, unique, interesting, delicious. Like sometimes you taste things and you go like, wow, that's different. That's interesting. That's unique. But they're not always delicious. They're not always things you want to just crush the rest of that bottle on. Everything I've tasted from Chattanooga is a killer pour. Uh, bottled in Bond from 2018. It's a blend of four mash bills. So yeah, this is kind of pushing the limits of what Bottled in Bond is. It just says one distiller, one distilling season. It doesn't say one mash bill. So if they make four different mash bills by the same master distiller in the same distilling season, it can still be bottled and bonded as long as it meets all the other requirements. Bonded warehouse, 100 proof, four years, all that. Uh, it's a high malt mash bill. 25% of that is a specialty malt mash bill. Stranahan's rye cask, five to nine years. Two in New York rye barrels. Uh, distillery only again. I guess the point there is that it's just another whiskey release that's only available at the distillery. So if you're in Colorado and you want to get the new Stranahan New York rye cask finish, uh, go to the distillery. It's the only place you're going to get it. In uh, the last one on my release list for the week, Wild Turkey announcing the latest release in its Master Keep series. This one is called Unforgotten. It's kind of a riff on the Unforgiven, which was a story that I heard when I was at Wild Turkey, which basically, you know, I've said it before, when you've got a bourbon, you know, they've tasted it, it's six years old, it's reached its maturation, we're going to dump this barrel and get it ready for bottling. 
They dump it out of wood into like a plastic vat or a stainless steel vat, something that will keep it from aging anymore. It's just holding now. And somebody had dumped bourbon into one of these holding tanks. And then somebody went and dumped rye into one of these holding tanks and blended the bourbon and the rye together. Now, I know people like to credit High West as being the first sort of boo rye, which is not an official classification of whiskey. Um, they refer to Lost Monarch as a boo rye as well. Um, I guess it is convenient and it fits, but it's not really a classification of whiskey. But before any of that happened, it happened at Wild Turkey by accident. And while the person was kind of going to work every day, worried and scared that they were going to lose their job because they just screwed up a batch of bourbon and a batch of rye. After a while of sitting in that tank, somebody from Wild Turkey went through, tasted it and went, this is really good. We should bottle this. And they called it unforgiven because the person who actually made the mistake was forgiven got to keep their job uh, because they didn't end up costing the company money. They actually made them a lot of money because that blend uh, became a highly sought after. I don't even think you can order that right now. Um, and they were able to charge a premium price. Uh, and it was in those same bottles as like the Rare Breed and the Kentucky Spirit. I've had a few bottles of it. It was fantastic. So this one in the Masters Keep Unforgotten. It is a blend of 13-year bourbon with 8- and 9-year rise that are then blended together and finished in rye barrels. I'm hoping to get my hands on a couple of bottles for the store. I don't know. Wild Turkey products have been very, very difficult to get for me lately, uh, but we will see. Man, this Laird's apple is so good. Ooh. All right. All right. I'm going to take one last break. Go grab a couple of more bottles and then uh, come back and drink some more apple brandy. Mm. All right. And we are back. And just to recap, it's October. We've survived September and Bourbon Heritage Month. Uh, we're getting ready. I mean, bourbon hysteria has already started. So we're taking a break. We're, we're kind of veering off. We're doing a little apple picking, and I have picked out some apple brandies to close this out with. Some of my favorites. And, you know, I, I love apple brandy because it, it gives me a, a sort of similar drinking experience to drinking whiskey. Uh, just a slightly different flavor profile, but the same body, same alcohol content. Um, yeah, same cocktail usability. All right, let's get into this. Next apple brandy that I'm doing. Ah, that sweet sound of a cork pop. And this is a place that I have actually been. I've talked about this before copper and kings and their apple brandy this stuff to me is just it's a gem of a bottle it's like 32 bucks on the shelf it's 92 proof it's apple brandy 
that's been finished in Kentucky bourbon barrels and American oak barrels. I don't have an age statement on it. Uh, I do know that it is non-chill filtered. Um, no color added. It's been pot distilled. So we're going to get a little bit more texture out of it. This place, man, again, everybody talks about Kentucky and Louisville and bourbon. But when you go down to Louisville, you really have to go to Copper and Kings. They're just, it's such an amazing place. It's so different than everywhere else you're going to go when you get down there. You know, the setup, it's, again, go to their website, check out the pictures of the building. You know, they used a lot of old steel construction, uh, steel shipping containers that are all painted bright orange. The whole place is just fantastic. You know, we get to go down to the barrel aging room where they do sort of their spin on sonic aging. So sometimes it's classical music. Sometimes it's hard rock. I believe whoever is working in the aging room that day gets to pick the playlist. So, you know, there's music constantly going on uh, in that aging room. It's where I got to bottle my own personalized bottle of pear brandy from them. Just an all in all fantastic place. Oh, I hate when that happens. Every now and then you look into your glass and an errant bug has flown into my glass. So you guys know I always keep a backup supply of glasses right here next to the microphone. Get another sweet cork pop there. We're going to re-pour. I mean, this... If you're a whiskey drinker and you're like, I don't know about this apple brandy stuff, this out of all of these, this is the one to try again, because it's finished in bourbon barrels in American oak. So you're going to get that same sort of woodiness to it. You know, no sweeteners added. This, I mean, if you said that this was an apple whiskey and, and you didn't know otherwise, you would believe it. All right, going in. It is like like a boozy apple pie a la mode. I mean, it's just the apple flavor is just overwhelming. It's right there. Great big red apple flavor. But those bourbon barrels in that new American oak have imparted so much vanilla there it kind of tastes like that that last few bites of your apple pie where the the vanilla ice cream is all melted it's kind of cool the pie pieces are still a little bit warm uh some of those baking spices yeah that is just that's it's everything it's it's everything you you want it to be this is apple brandy for a bourbon drinker. No, no doubt. Oh man, I'm just going to enjoy sipping that. So, uh, you know, three tiered rating system. Is it good? Yeah, man, is this good? Is it worth the money for 32 bucks? Absolutely. For a 92 proof that drinks like a whiskey that you can use to make old fashions, Manhattans, Boulevardiers. Um, you know, if you're a mixer, and again, it's fall outside. 
You want to mix that with a little Diet Cola, a little ginger ale, uh, throw that in a pork marinade. It's going to hit all those things for 32 bucks. Does the bottle starter conversation? I love the Copper and Kings package. It stands very tall, thin bottle, very sleek. Uh, the Copper and Kings kind of stands out there in a very gold circle. And, uh, you know, the background label, just very elegant, simple, stylish. And it's it's coming out of Louisville. It's the heart of, of whiskey country. Oh, man, it just smells so, so good. <sighs> All right, moving on to the next one. I'm just going to rifle this down because at this point, I'm just loving these. Mm. All right, so now we get into the last two. And everything so far that I've tasted is available in my store. You can buy these all day, every day. These last two, these are very special, very limited, um, very rare. And at some point, they will be impossible to buy. So... Uh, if either one of these sound interesting to you, please, please reach out. Uh, I will place the call and specially order these. This one here, and again, this is one of my favorites. I love these, the underdogs, the, the people who are just a little bit off the beaten path, the people who, the people who haven't sold out yet to Constellation, Diageo, Pernod Ricard, Gallo, Campari, all the big name players. And they do, you know, it's not like they don't have great brands, but there's something a little extra special about these people who are out there just doing it on their own. People like, you know, Derek Benham out at Redwood Empire, uh, the people down at Virginia Distillery who are doing things on their own people out at Hill Rock, uh, and this, which is maybe maybe my favorite overall distillery brand uh, that there is, and it's St. George. What Lance Winters is doing out there in California is just, it's crazy to me. Uh, you know, some of my favorite gins, they're... Uh, terroir, their botanivore, their rigen, just some of the most flavorful and interesting and unique and delicious and affordable gins out there on the market. I have an unaged pear brandy, which if we have any time at the end, I might reach over and grab that bottle and, and pour a little of that too. Uh, their spiced pear liqueur, which has the pear brandy at its base and then spices. I mean, that is just a quiet little giant at the store as well. Um, you know, their American single malt baller. I've talked about it here before. Uh, B and E breaking and entering their American whiskey, which is a blend of bourbon and rye. And I think there's some single malt in there as well. You know, they're doing all kinds of just amazing, amazing things. And this is just one of them. You know, when I get to meet, Brian Bartell, who is another 
you know, friend that I can reach out to and sort of a, a connect with, with some of these guys. Uh, Brian came down, did a whole podcast with me. You could find that episode if you scroll back uh, on the, the episode listings. And we talked about it and we talked about this Apple Brandy Reserve, which I didn't know even existed until he brought it up. But basically out at St. George, they do a yearly batch release. The one I'm trying is the 2019 uh, I've been holding on to this bottle for a little bit, actually, since right after we did that podcast. But basically, they have different types of apples aging in all different types of barrels, whether it's French oak, American oak, American oak that held whiskey in it. Uh, you know, these barrels are between two and seven years old, and they just kind of go out there once a year and, and taste and blend and put out the St. George California Reserve Apple Brandy. This is 86 proof. Again, this is the 2019 release. So each year is a little different. But, oh, man. This on the nose. And, you know, when I was tasting the Calvados, there's a slightly different sort of aroma that goes with that French uh, French apples and in, in their production methods and some of the ways we do it here in America. Very, very similar, but there's also some some unique differences. In this one, and maybe it's the French oak and the American oak, but this is like the perfect hybrid of Calvados and American apple brandy right there in the nose. It's, you know, it's not red apples. It, it's green, but it's not like Granny Smith tart green. You know, you get some of that like bitter apple. I, this just, this smells amazing. This is just stylish, elegant. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. This is like, again, it's like biting into an apple, but with some of the other ones, it's more about like the flesh of the apple. This I taste like the apple skins. I wouldn't be surprised if they were actually letting it mature, like on the skins for a little bit, because I definitely pick up like that apple skin flavor, that same sort of rich flavor that I tend to get from French oak. Yeah, it's this it, it's special. It's like nothing else I've ever had. And, you know, at this point, we're what? This is the fifth apple brandy or fourth apple brandy. In. And as much as they're all just apple brandies, they're four distinctly different flavors. So, again, expand your palate, expand your horizon like you can't rule out the whole category because you tried one that you might not like. Um, and again, if you're out there and you're listening and you're like, Hey, I tried one. I didn't like it. Maybe I'd like this one, but I don't want to buy a bottle. Email me spiritguide 89 at gmail.com. Uh, message me through Facebook or Instagram as the spirit guide. And just say, Hey, that one sounded interesting. I tried one before that I didn't like, but I'm willing to try this any of these bottlings, just send me a message. 
you're over 21, you live in the area, you guys know the drill. I'm always happy to share what I've got. I'll either bring the bottle into work with me and we'll drink it together or I'll pour off a 50 milliliter sample. And you know what? If you live far enough away, I'll maybe we'll find a way to ship it to you. Oh, man, this is so good. Speaking of Instagram, uh, by the time this comes out, you know, there'll be a post about today's uh, podcast. I'll, I'll put pictures of all these bottles up. But for anybody who's out there paying attention, you probably have noticed that I didn't post anything for the whole weekend. I'm trying to stay off the social media a little bit. You know, every now and then, whether it's drinking, whether it's social media, whether it's anything that becomes habit forming and daily and habitual, sometimes you just got to dial it back, take a break, you know, and realize that as much as everything that I post on Instagram is what I'm actually doing. It's not always real to me. Um, what's real to me is when you guys come into the store or you reach out and you message me directly and say, Hey, you know, that sounded great. Hey, I just listened to the episode. Stop by the store. We try something new. Those are the things that are real to me. Um, and it's part of why I still keep doing this podcast is I still do actually get to connect and I get to see and hear and feel the fruits of that labor. Um, sometimes Instagram just becomes like a, it's like a full-time fucking job of like, you have to get pictures up every day and it, it becomes more, you know, your passion controlling you as opposed to you controlling your passion Sometimes it gets in the way of you know my personal life or I've got to block out time just to take pictures of what I'm doing. Sometimes I have to stop what I'm doing to take a picture of doing it so that I can put it out there. Uh, and after a while, you know, like I said, sometimes you just need to dial it back, take a break, uh, realize that, you know, life is, you know, living here and in the flesh with things you can see and feel and, and, and talk to and touch. Uh, the posts will come back on Instagram, but you know, like I said, I just had to, had to dial it back for a little bit for my own sort of kind of sanity. Um, <laughs> most of you guys know too, that I do run multiple kind of social media accounts. I, I do the stores account as well as my own. So for 30 days of bourbon, I basically did 30 bourbons for one account and 30 bourbons for another account while recording and taking pictures of things that I couldn't use until after uh, September. Yeah, just a lot of time on, on Instagram and Facebook. So I'll be back. I haven't disappeared. I promise I skipped a Sunday vinyl posting, um, but it'll be back next week. I promise. Don't worry. I'm not going away. <laughs> oh, this is so good. Ooh. Ah, man. So, so good. All right. I'm going to close this out with one more apple brandy. This, as far as American apple brandies go, this is the most special one in my collection. Oh, do we get one more? There it is. This is from my friends at Hodling. Uh, my friend Paulo, who 
you know, I talked about earlier with the Hirsch whiskey. Um, Hodling is the parent company. Uh, it used to be Anchor Steam Brewing for anybody who remembers sort of the original craft classic beer in America. Anchor Steam. Uh, that company would eventually turn into Hodling. And they became sort of a liquor importer, producer. So, you know, they import brands, like I said, like Hein. Uh, they're responsible for Hirsch and Convite, Mezcal, um, just a whole bunch of brands. And then there are things that are kind of theirs. Uh, Junipero Gin is is from Hodling. Uh, Old Potrero Whiskey is from Hodling. So this is something that I didn't know existed. And then messing around on the internet, I came across this bottle. This is Hodling and Company 21-year apple brandy. And according to the label, limited edition apple brandy is a rare gem produced from California's Bounty. Uh, this brandy is distilled from 100% California apples before resting for over 21 years. They only did this once. There's not a lot of bottles of this in existence. There's not a lot of these bottles left in existence. The front label, kind of plain. Um, by the way, the St. George bottle, yeah. Is it good? Is it worth the money? Yes, yes. Does the bottle start a conversation? Absolutely. St. George labels are always, always cool. Um, and you don't see many reserve apple brandies. This label, simple, understated, elegant, all white label, all white uh, background, gold lettering, age 21 years right there on the front. I think I paid like $70 for this. Try to find a 21-year-old bourbon for that kind of money it does not exist right there on the back this is bottle number 6755 of 7111 not a lot of bottles in existence i know there are still some at my distributor so if you are interested in getting your hands on a 21 year old apple brandy for under 100 bucks shoot me an email stop by the store you guys know the drill And on the nose, it's like honey crisp apples. But it's almost picked up like a almost like a mintiness to it. Right away, just smelling this, we talk about like the versatility of these. And I get it's a 21 year old apple brandy. There's not a ton of it out there. But if you want to make really good cocktails, this would make maybe one of the most interesting juleps you will ever have. Oh, man. All right. It, it, it's just every now and then you come across a spirit that you just want to keep smelling. Like it smells so good. You almost, you want to make sure you've gotten every aroma out of it that you possibly can before you taste it. Mm. 
It's just rich, viscous. Oh, man. So, yeah, this is made from less than 30 barrels. It's bottled at 88 uh, proof, so 44% uh, alcohol. 21 years in French oak. This is heaven. This is decadence. This is one of the most special bottles in my whole entire collection. And again, if you guys want a bottle, don't wait. Get Reach out to me soon. Uh, I can still put an order and probably get uh, a bottle or two of this for you guys. And I still have a little bit less than half a bottle. So if anybody out there is like, hey, you know what? I'd love to try that. That sounds intriguing. Please, again, reach out to me. I'll be more than happy uh, to pour off a sample and share it with you. Oh, man. Mm. That's amazing. It's like honey crisp and golden delicious apples, honey, flowers. You know, like if you stirred all that up, in a bowl and then garnished it with a mint sprig that it's just amazing and decadent. So there it is. We did a little apple picking five different apple brandies, four from America, one from France. Just again, after drinking bourbon for the whole month, it's a nice alternative. And just in general, it's just a way to expand your, your palate, um, and again, expand your horizon and, you know, they're just, they're incredible. Please go out and just try one of these. They're, they're amazing. They're great in cocktails. And you know what? Again, they're a good access point where if you have somebody who is kind of, you know, like they've heard about whiskey and they want to get into whiskey, but they're afraid of some of the big, bold flavors, this is a little bit more accessible of an access point price-wise and flavor-wise and proof-wise in some cases. So, yeah, and it's apple season. Like, what is more perfect for the fall in New England than than apple brandy? All right, guys, I'm going to wrap it from here. It appears that I got my, uh, my technology working here again for this segment. So... I apologize if the first segment and the third segment sound the same and the middle one sounds a little different, but yeah, we, we soldiered through. I'm going to enjoy the rest of this apple brandy. All right. I'm going to wrap it from here. Thank you guys, as always, for indulging me on this journey. Uh, it's you guys that keep me going. So I appreciate it uh, more than I can say. And if you like what I'm doing, if you're still here, my God. This is the end of full length episode 35. You know, it was getting a little chilly out there today as, you know, I was kind of out and about before I did some recording and it got me to thinking of being back in January when I was recording some of the first full length episodes, trying to get that Bourdain stuff out, Peter Thomas being here, you know, for the third and fourth episode. And there was snow on the ground, and we've gone from like snow to spring to one of the hottest summers I remember. And now it's back to being cool. It's hard to believe that it's been 35 weeks 
since the first full-length episode dropped. Uh, it is amazing that you guys are still there and you're still listening and and you're still supporting, and I appreciate it more than, than I can say. So you guys know the drill at this point. If you're still here, you're still listening, you obviously like what I'm doing. And if you haven't gone to the podcast page yet, go there, click the follow button, give it a five-star rating, share it out on your social media, uh, follow on Facebook and Instagram as The Spirits Guide, where you can leave comments and reviews about the podcast, and you can message me directly through both of those platforms. And for everything else, samples that you're curious as to my opinion of, and I promise I've gotten a bunch of really cool ones in the last few weeks during Bourbon Heritage Month that I haven't gotten to yet, but I'm really, really excited to get to them in the coming weeks. Uh, so if you're like, hey, I brought you samples, I haven't heard what you thought, I promise you guys I'm getting to them uh, now that we, we can talk about more than just bourbon. Uh, if there's anything I have tried here, especially tonight, uh, I have extras of everything from this episode. Just reach out to me. I'll do up some samples. I'll get them to you. And you guys know the drill. If you want to come here, hang out, geek out about movies, music, uh, TV, books, whatever. You pick the topic. I'll pick the drinks. Email me at thespiritguide89 at gmail.com. Thank you guys, as always, for being here. Uh, I will be checking in with you on Thursday with a very cool Thursday night tasting TNT. A lot of fun. Uh, something we recorded back during Bourbon Heritage Month uh, that I've been saving to, to bring out here. So uh, I'll check in with you guys on Thursday. Thanks you, as always, and uh, cheers. Cheers.